Samuel chapter number 12, if you want to go quickly there, 1 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, you know, as an evangelist, you're supposed to do, uh, you know, preach, uh, preach the gospel and different things. But one of the things an evangelist does is we're supposed to preach on sin. Did you know that? All preachers are, I guess. So I'd like to preach on a big sin tonight. Can I do that? Preach on a big sin. Now, I don't know if it's a big sin here at Gospel. I haven't talked to your preacher yet. But anyway, uh, I'm just kind of teasing with you. But you know, on a serious note, I would like to deal with a really big sin. You say, what's that? I'd like to deal with the sin of prayerlessness. The sin of prayerlessness. I want us to look at 1 Samuel chapter number 12. I want you to see verse number 23. To kind of set up the scenario here, I think you, many of you remember the children of Israel had requested a king or asked for a king, and it displeased God because they were obviously rejecting uh, the way he had ruled through uh, the judges and theocracy, etc. And, and he said, okay, give him a king. And uh, they, uh, of course, Samuel got him a king, and Lord led and all that. But then God showed his divine displeasure, and the people realized, boy, uh, we really blew it. Okay, I'm just going kind of cut into the chase. And in verse 23, that's when the, the prophet Samuel says these words. And I want you to see them, 20, verse 23 of chapter number 12. He says, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Have you ever read a verse and it didn't say what you thought it was going to say? <laughs> you kind of think it would say this, God forbid that I should sin against you, <laughs> in ceasing to pray for you. But it doesn't say that. It says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. I'd like to deal with the sin of prayerlessness. Now, this is a little bit of a theological message, so it has a little bit of theological controversy in it. I know it won't be a problem uh, here, but, uh, but I want to warn you ahead of time and, and just, just kind of think about it here for a moment. But uh, I want you to, to think about it. Why is prayerlessness a sin against God? Oh, you say, preacher, that's easy. He tells us to pray, and if we don't, that's disobedience. Well, that's true. Certainly, God tells us to pray without ceasing, so not praying at all is certainly a sin because it's disobedience to God. But I don't think that's the greatest reason why it's a sin against God. Well, you say, preacher, I know it's an affront to God. I mean, after all, when we don't pray, we go down to Egypt for help. Man, that's an insult to God. We go to the world for help and, uh, and not pray to God to meet our needs. Boy, that's an insult to God. Uh, that's, a, that's why it's a sin. Well, that certainly is true, isn't it? It's tragic when God's people go down to Egypt for help, isn't it? Sure it is. Trust in horses and chariots instead of the Lord. But I don't believe that's the main reason why it's a sin. Now, hang on, it's a little rough, but here it is. I believe prayerlessness is a big sin against God because it limits God. Say, limits God? How can you limit an all-powerful God? Well, that's a great question. Well, think about this, if you would, please. When God sets something up, he always plays by his rules. Can I say that carefully? God says, this is the way we're going to do it. That's the way we do it. Uh, it's kind of like two political parties. One plays by the rules and the other doesn't. Okay, but anyway, we'll leave that alone. Uh, but... Uh, uh, but uh, you know, God sets things up. The devil doesn't play by the rules, but God does. You say, well, Richard, what are you talking about? Let me use an illustration. When God gave the Great Commission, who did he give it to? Did he give it to angels? No. Did he, did he give it to animals? No. He gave it to saved human beings. He gave it to us. So I got a question. What if we don't do the job? And the answer is, is there a plan B? And the answer is, No. God set it up that way. Now, uh, if I was God, and all of us are glad that none of us are, but if I was God and I was going to give the great commission to human beings, I'd have had a backup. 
I'd have gone to Gabriel, Michael, you know what I'm talking about? I said, get the angels together, teach them the Romans road, you know what I'm talking about? Give them gospel flip charts. And if these human beings blow it, we're going to send you down. Does God do that? No, he doesn't. Can, it, can, it, can we say then that if God's people don't give the gospel, that it limits God? And the answer is yes. Why? Because God set it up that way. He didn't have to set it up that way, but he did. And so we as human beings, in fact, I don't know where I heard this. It certainly is an alarming statistic. But I read somewhere, 98% of all believers will never lead anybody to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think that's true overseas, but it certainly may be true here. And if that's true, that's a remarkable thing, isn't it? So if 98% of the people God commissions to give the gospel don't, pretty good chance the job's not going to get done. You know, I believe, can I say this carefully? I believe that when God uh, uh, told us that he's not willing that any, per- any, any should perish, that he must have a plan for that to be accomplished in every generation. God has a way for the whole world to hear the gospel. But you know what the problem is? A lot of people aren't cooperating. And so it limits what God wants to do. I don't understand that all. Uh, I understand uh, uh, I'm not limiting God's power or sovereignty in any way at all. I'm just simply saying when God sets something up, that's, doesn't, don't you think the devil knows that? So why does he try to keep God's people keep their mouths shut? Because he knows if they do, there's no plan B. <laughs> and so uh, just using the gospel. Now, let's talk about prayer for a moment, okay? Now, God, you, God set prayer up for something. Say, what, what, okay, right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, God, Jesus says something in teaching his disciples to pray that's stunning. He said, here's how you need to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I got a question for you. Is God's will going to be done today in heaven? Yes, perfectly. Now, when people sin, it's not God's will, so I'm going to help you out here. Is God's will going to be done perfectly on earth? No, because God's not for sin. It's never his will that anybody sins. Okay, so how does God get his will done on earth? Okay, well, think about this for a moment. One of the ways he gets things done on earth is by your prayer life. Why would he tell us to pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, evidently, that's a part of him getting his will done on earth. Remember what he says in 1 John chapter 5? He said, and this is the confidence that we have in him if we ask anything. According to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So the Bible is telling us here that if you pray according to God's will, know you've prayed according to God's will, you've got the answer. Because if you know you prayed according to God's will, you know God heard me, and he said, if I heard you, you got the answer. So can I say this? You know what prayer is? Prayer is coming into union with the will of God so Satan's will is defeated and God's will is done. You ever thought about the fact there are two wills vying for what happens on planet Earth? You know, sometimes a teenager, they may say it or they may think, it. hey, preacher, I I don't want to do God's will, but I don't want to do the devil's will. I want to do my will. You know what I say? Well, that's not an option. If you're doing your will, you're doing Satan's will. See, there's only two wills out there. It's either God's will or it's Satan's will. And you know what prayer does? Prayer comes into union with the will of God, so Satan's will is defeated. Now you see why Satan hates prayer? Because he knows that anybody in this room who comes into union with the will of God knows you've come into union with the will of God, thus knowing God has heard you, you've got it. You've got the answer. Can I say this? You know what prayer does for the Christian? It takes you off the bench and puts you in the game. 
How many of you, when you were in high school or before, played on a serious level of sports? And all I mean by a serious level is there were referees in your games, okay? We're not talking about sandlot baseball. But how many played on a serious level of sports, okay? So how many of you practiced and worked hard so you could sit on the bench? Not many. We work hard. Why? We wanted a game. You know, we want to get there, be part of the action. You know, most Christians I'm feeling are not even on the bench. They're in the grandstands. <laughs> you want to get out of the grandstands? You want to get off the bench? You say, preacher, I'm 80 years old. You're the perfect ones to get off the bench and get in the game. Because <laughs> you have more time than the rest of us. <laughs> I'm just telling you, friend, prayer is where it's at. Now, don't get me wrong, and I'm not trying to say this in any way because uh, I, I feel like i got a long way to go, but I love to preach, absolutely love to preach, and I'm sure your preacher does too. I love to preach, but I'm going to tell you this. If God came to me and said, you choose one, you can either preach or pray, I'd have to choose praying, even though it's much more challenging at times. Because that's where God is telling. Again, don't get me wrong. I thank God for preaching, and God uses preaching. But prayer is uh, where you come into union with the will of God, so Satan's will is defeated. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, preacher, I don't know, man. If I get out there and I start praying, I'm gonna, Satan's going to come after me. Well, that's true. Ever you noticed how many like football? I mean, maybe you watch some football. Have you ever noticed that in football, NFL football or college football, the guy with the ball, there's 11 other people on the field who want to end his life? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah? You know what praying is? Praying's taking the football. Kind of reminds me of an old Far Side cartoon. How many old enough to remember Gary, I think it was Gary Larson and the Far Side. Far Side. That's some of the funniest cartoons off the wall. I mean, that guy's brain, who knows? But anyway, yeah. But one of them was he had two deer out in the field. Do you remember that one? Had a, one of them had a target on his chest. And the other one's looking at him and says to him, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. Yeah. <laughs> remember that one? Yeah. But the whole point is, when you and I get in prayer, sure, sure we got it. You say, well, preacher, I'm standing on the bench. I'm standing. I don't want a target on me. I got really good news about this devil stuff. He's already been defeated. <laughs> we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from it. When we fight for victory, we're actually fighting in unbelief. Fighting from victory is assuming that what is true is true, that we're on the winning side. Jesus Christ has already won the battle against the devil when he cried out, it is finished. And the devil was finished. Okay, so, so we get on the field. Yes, sure, it's going to be a battle. And it's coming to union with the will of God. So Satan's will is defeated and God's will is done. Now, I'm going to just tell you this. The real battle this week is not going to be out on the field. The real battle is not even going to be while I'm preaching. The real battle is going to be won or lost in prayer. And you know what I'm trying to do is enlist people in this auditorium to get in the battle this week. And start praying. If you know the young people in this Christian school, pray for them by name. Pray that God will work on their heart. Pray that if there's a call of God on their life that they haven't heard yet, that, that God would make that clear. Pray that God will help them deal with the sin in their life, that they would take steps of faith. The Spirit of God would speak to them, that the truth would become powerful and real in their life. Pray for them. You can pray for if you have unsaved kids you, can, kids you know of. Pray they'll come. And uh, I tell you, it's a remarkable thing. One little homeschool goer from last week, uh, went to a homeschool co-op, and she invited a bunch of kids, and she, she told me later, she said, they came. First night, four of them got saved. 
She was so excited, tears in her eyes, so excited. But I believe that battle was probably won somewhere, some way. I don't know but who. Somebody won that battle on their knees. Now you say, okay, preacher, I see this. So prayer is coming to union with the will of God. So Satan's will is defeated. God's will is done. And, and uh, so uh, could you give me some illustrations of that? Okay, let me give you some illustrations of this. Because sometimes we forget that, uh, you know, the hall of faith, it's interesting uh, that at the very end of it, it talks about the, those old saints of old obtained promises. You've got to obtain a promise. You know how you obtain promises? Prayer. You say, God, you said... You said, okay, let's start off with Elijah. You remember Elijah? One day, Elijah's walking down the road, and he realized there's a problem. There's a huge problem. You know what the problem was? I'll tell you what the problem was. What did Elijah pray for? What did he pray for? He prayed that it might not. He must have lived in South Florida. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, or Oregon. But anyway, he prayed that it might not rain. Now, I want to ask you a question. Theologically, why was it a problem that it was raining? And the answer is, Deuteronomy. Because in Deuteronomy, God had said, if my people apostatize and go after other gods, the heavens will be as, anybody know? Grass. It's not raining. It's not going to rain. And I'm using my sanctified imagination, but I believe that one day old Elijah was going down the road with his umbrella and he looked up to heaven and he said, God, you've got a problem. You said if your people apostatized, it wouldn't rain, and God, it's raising. I'm using my sanctified imagination, but I imagine God saying, you're right about that, Elijah. I was just waiting for somebody to, to talk to me about that. You know what Elijah did? He came into union with the will of God. He said, God, it's your will that it, might, it won't rain. And evidently, God made it clear how long it was going to rain. And, of course, the word went out, it's not going to rain. Now, that's certainly a stunning thing. He, what happened is he came in a union with the will of God. Now, what happened uh, there in 1 Kings chapter number 18, verse number 1? God said it's going to rain. Now, what did that mean? Well, that meant there was going to be a revival because in that same book of Deuteronomy, God said if the people turn back to me, then it will rain again. So he knew that Mount Carmel was coming. So he goes up there in Mount Carmel. We all know the story. Won't go through it again. People fall on their face after God answers from heaven with fire. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then what does good old Elijah do? Go down to Walmart and get himself a raincoat. Is that what he did? And we got on his knees. And he prayed. What was he praying for? Well, the text is pretty clear. He is praying for rain. I'm using my sanctified imagination again. I'm saying, okay, God, you said in Deuteronomy, if they would repent, turn back. They have repented, turn back to you. Now, God, you've got to answer with rain. He sent a servant how many times? Anybody remember? Seven times. Seven times he comes back, there's a cloud, size of a man's fist. And Elijah knew, okay, God's heard. I can move on to the next thing. Now, all I want you to understand, friends, is that helps us understand something. Prayer is coming to union with the will of God, so Satan's will is defeated. Uh, how about Daniel? Remember Daniel one day? Daniel was having his devotions out of the book of Jeremiah, which at that time, Jeremiah was a new book of the Bible. That's kind of interesting to think of a new book of the Bible. And, of course, that's not going to happen anymore. The Bible's finished Revelation. But Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said after 70 years, uh, the people are going to come back from captivity. You know what Daniel did, don't you? Yeah, he got out his Google calendar. And he said, it's been 70 years. And so he started packing his bags to go back. Is that what happened? No, he got on his knees and he started to pray. 
You know what he did in that prayer? He was coming to union with the will of God, confessing the sins of God's people, and of course claiming God's promise. He, he, was, he was coming into union with the will of God so that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you remember what happened when David uh, said, I'm going to build a temple or a tabernacle, a te- or a temp- a temple, excuse me, and uh, the prophet said, oh, go ahead and do it. And God came to the prophet and said, no, you better go back to David. And basically the, uh, the prophet came and told David that he was going to have someone sit on his throne of his seed forever. Isn't that amazing? That's quite a promise. Forever is a long time. Do you know what David did the next day when he heard that? He went into the tabernacle and he knelt before God. And what did he say? He claimed the promise. Humbly claimed the promise. God, I want the, I'm, I want whatever you said, that's what I want. By the way, one day his seed will sit on the throne of Israel forever. Hallelujah. It's coming. But uh, so great examples in the Old Testament of people who understood the importance of prayer is uniting with the will of God so God's will is done. Now, have you ever thought about that? If prayer then is that important, which it sounds like it's really important, it's a part of how God gets his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't understand at all. I'm not professing to. But if that's, then number one, we're going to certainly realize that devil's going to fight us, but there's something else. God must really want us to pray. Remember in the Old Testament, that sad passage of Scripture when the, uh, that passage of Scripture when the prophet says, uh, talk, talks about giving this, what the Lord is saying. He said, I sought for an intercessor. And how many did you find? I found none. Now, I cannot prove this, friends, but I believe with all my heart that God is looking for intercessors for every unsaved person on planet Earth. And do you know what I think happens many times? can't find anybody. I want to ask you an honest question. Does your next door neighbor have an intercessor? That one going to hell? Does your coworker you work with for 30 years, does he have an intercessor? Does your mom who's unsaved have an intercessor? See, God's looking for intercessors. And what a tragedy when he has to say, I'm not finding anybody. I found none. I, um, my uh, daughter, who's here, played the piano a moment ago, also the violin, but um, she teaches at a local store in our, in our area, uh, a music store. And uh, this is several years ago. She uh, had a aut- very severely autistic student that she taught how to play the piano. He actually had a, an amazing ability to play the piano, and she, she was able to teach him, and, and it was really kind of an exciting thing. The music store, I think, was very amazed because uh, he was quite severely autistic. And, and uh, he'd come in, and they'd have to protect the store from being destroyed, you know. And uh, he could play the piano. And, and so to make a long story short, there was a husband and wife with a special son. It was their only son. They were a little bit older in life, had him later. And uh, they were burdened. Let's get him a place where he can learn to play piano. So they started calling music stores, and no music store would take a special needs student. None of them would. And one day, this lady is driving down the street, and uh, she came across, saw this other music store that my daughter taught at. She said, you know, I haven't called them yet. So she called them up, and they said, uh, asked if they uh, have a teacher that would be willing to teach special needs. And they said, we have one. That was my daughter. We have one. We'll ask her. Well, they asked my daughter, and she looked at her schedule and said, I really don't have any time left. And it was like the Spirit of God really touched her heart make time. So she cleared a half hour on Saturday, and uh, this mom and dad began to bring, I think there are uh, 
10 or 11 year old son, I can't remember how old he was at the time, in for, and they made it a family affair. They all came in for the music lesson. They thought that was great. And uh, if you knew these people at all, they're the kind of people that didn't take very long before my daughter fell in love with them, just fell in love with them. And she got burdened for it. And got burdened that they, you know what happens, friends, when you get burdened that somebody needs to get saved, guess what you do? You start praying for them. So one day on the way home, God just broke her heart. She began to pray with tears. God, they can't go to hell. They can't go to hell. You ever prayed like that? God, my mom can't go to hell. God, my next door neighbor can't go to hell. God. And she began to pray. You know what happens? You start praying, you start inviting them. <laughs> so she invited them to the Christmas stuff going on at the church there, and, and they came. I met them at a recital a little bit before that. Then they came, and I met them at the, at the church for the big program, the Christmas program. And later, they said, you know, uh, Jana, my daughter, they said, she had a light. There was something different about her. She had a light. But we came to your church, everybody had the light. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Everybody had the light. <laughs> the light of the world. It's just an amazing thing. And they walked in, and I think um, one of them turned to the other one and said, is this a cult? And the other one turned back and said, I don't care. I, I'm staying. It doesn't matter to me. I'm staying. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, my daughter said to me, uh, to my wife and I, uh, my wife, by the way, is off teaching. She left yesterday to teach back home. So uh, my apologies, she's not here. She really regretted not being here. But, uh, but uh, my daughter asked my wife and I, could you go do the follow-up? And that year, we were using the Gospel of John. We were challenging people, would you read a chapter of the book of John for 21 days? And then we'll kind of answer your questions. It was kind of the, the, the follow-up method we were using that year. And, and so they agreed to do the Gospel of John challenge. And, and so we went over, introduced it. And, and he wasn't there, but, but the, the mom was, special needs child. And my wife is really good with uh, special needs kids. And so she gave the Gospel to the special needs son. Of course, hoping the mom's listening. And after the Gospel presentation, I looked at Greta, that's the mom, and I said, I said, have you ever heard that before? I love this answer. She said, no, I haven't. But that's so simple. Hallelujah for the gospel. That's so simple. Well, my wife and I were leaving early because uh, we couldn't come back at the appointed time with the Gospel of John project. So we, um, we called him up and said, can we come early? And we're going to have to leave town, but we'd like to come back and see. Well, we've only read a few chapters of John. I said, that's no problem. Where are you? John 3. Oh, that'd be great. We'll just stop. We'll just go to John 3. You know, that's a good place to be. And, and so we came, and, and uh, now the dad was there, the mom was there, the, the son. Uh, in fact, I don't know if Brother Philbrook's here, but his brother came uh, to uh, kind of take the son aside to kind of give us a little bit of breathing room here so we could, we could talk to mom and dad. And, and so he uh, kind of preoccupied the son. And, and anyway, oh, so um, we, um, we began to give the gospel to mom and dad going through John 3. And all I can tell you that night is, friends, it was one of those moments where you just knew God was there. Just God was there. And uh, the dad prayed to get saved, and uh, we were rejoicing about his salvation. And my wife had enough discernment to look at the wife and said, did you pray while your husband was praying? And she smiled real big. She said, yes, I did. They both got saved at the same time. And right after that came something called COVID. Did you guys ever hear of COVID? I don't know if you ever heard of that. Yeah. And church shut down, you know, at least. And their church down shut, shut down. Their uh, church they went to, which was obviously not a gospel church at all, it shut down. I don't even know if it's still open, you know. It shut down, and they started coming to our church, and they haven't left, okay? Hallelujah. But here's the point. You know, God's looking for an intercessor. <laughs> you know, there's somebody you, maybe you've been praying for. 
Maybe this is the time to invite them if they're young. You, know, you say, well, I've been praying for mom and dad, but they have a teenage son. Well, that might be the door. I don't know. But here's the point, friends, each one of us in this room. Uh, there's all, we can't pray for the whole world by name, but there's some people we can pray for. And I'll tell you many times, you know what it starts with? Our own children. I love to pray for your children. I mean that. I love to pray for teenagers. Our, our, we, our team will come in. We'll have a prayer time every day. We'll get burdened for some of the young people here. We'll pray for them by name. But I can guarantee you this, as much as we will pray for your kids this week, I guarantee you that you're a much better prayer for them than we are. Yeah, mom and dad, don't stop praying for your kids. You say, my kids are so far from God. Don't underestimate God. Keep praying for them. I'm just urging you that God has given each, each one of us has a different sphere of influence and all of those. There's people that I pray for that uh, you'll never pray for. You'll never know them. You'll never meet their name. And there's people you know and you pray for that I'll never meet. And my friend, I don't know if this is, yeah, I can prove this biblically, but I certainly think it's within the spirit of Scripture. I kind of think that if everybody would do what God would lay on their heart to do as far as pray, there are a whole lot more in God's will would be getting done. You know what you can do for lost people? You can pray for Holy Spirit conviction. I know that's God's will. That'll get done. You can pray against the enemy. Satan be defeated and the lies they're believing, the blindness that Satan has brought to their minds will fall like a house of cards. I know that's God's will because he said, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. God's into destroying the works of the devil. Why don't we pray about that one? I'm telling you, we can pray that God will send circumstances in their life that will set them up for the gospel. A lot of things we can pray about and pray with confidence that God will do a work in their heart. You know, my burden this week is just to enlist you in, in the issue of prayer and, and uh, to, in a certain sense, how do we say it? Just uh, say, I'm going to deal with this prayerlessness in my life. I'm going to drop kick that out of my life. I, I need to get this thing right. The greatest thing you can do, my friend, is to, is, to, is to do something that comes into union with the will of God so Satan's will is defeated and God's will is done. And every single one of you in the room can be a part of it. As long as you got your mind, you can be a part of it. And if you, even if you don't have your mind, you can probably be a part of it. My grandmother had dementia, and she could still pray. You know why? Because that's what she did for the last 30 years of her life. She, could, she forgot God's name, but she still prayed. My uncle said she called God that good fellow. You know, that's who she prayed to, that good fellow. Okay, but she could still pray. <laughs> I could tell you some amazing stories I don't have time for you right now. But, uh, but we all can pray. I'll just conclude with this. Maybe this would encourage your hearts when it comes to this matter of prayer. You may have heard this story, but back in 1949, there were two elderly sisters on the island of Lewis, which is off the coast of Scotland. Anybody familiar with the island of Lewis off the coast of Scotland? They call it the land of revivals. There was a revival in the 1800s, one in 1934, one in 1939. And uh, was just known as a place that God had been many times with his reviving presence. And these two uh, elderly sisters, one had rheumatoid arthritis, one was blind, and they would what we'd call shut-ins. They're not able rarely, rarely to go to church. But they got extremely burdened. And the reason they got burdened, it had been 10 years since the move of God had swept across the island and the presence of God was real. They thought there's a whole group generation of teenagers that have never known the reviving presence of God. And they got burdened, and they set themselves to praying. They would set whole days apart for prayer and fasting. And this went on for months. Finally, in early December of 1949, 
They called their pastor and said, Pastor, would you come over? We need to see you immediately. The pastor came over. Of course, he greatly respected these saints of God. And the two ladies said, Pastor, we've got to tell you something. We were praying, and we saw the enemy retreating, and the lamb take the field. Pastor, revival is coming. They said it with confidence. The pastor knew them enough to believe, I think they're right. About a week later, a man by the name of Duncan Campbell, he was in his 50s, he was a well-known evangelist, but he'd gotten away from God and gotten out of the will of God. And now it's not like in a terrible way, he'd become a pastor. Not that pastor is being out of the will of God, but for him it was. He was an evangelist and God called him to that. And he got out of the will of God, got comfortable in, in a pastorate situation and he got broken before God one night. He was broken before God on, the, on his study floor and, and his, uh, uh, his daughter came in and, and uh, uh, urged him to go through with God and he surrendered himself to go back into evangelism. God's hand returned to his life. Shortly thereafter, he was there on the island of Lewis. He came in the month of December for three-week mission. We call it a three-week revival meeting. And it is said, he came in December of 1949 for a three-week mission, and he left in 1952. Now, that's what I call an extended meeting. And they say, I'm telling you, you could read an anthology of eyewitness accounts called Sounds from Heaven. It's not a page-turner, but it's extremely interesting. Eyewitness account after eyewitness account of the 1949-52 to 52 revival, and they all talked about the... Uh, uh, the um, unmistakable awareness of the presence of God. And I'm going to tell you, friend, there are other people praying, but two of the big ones were, uh, significant one were these two elderly sisters who came into union with the will of God. Satan's will is defeated and God's will is done. We saw the enemy retreating. Say, preacher, what do you think they saw? I don't know. Well, whatever they saw, they, God gave him a glimpse just like he did to Elisha and Elisha's servants that they saw beyond the veil. They saw the enemy retreating and the lamb take the field with spiritual eyesight is what I'm sure it was. I'm telling you, friends, prayerlessness. It's a sin against God because it limits God. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Psalm 78, verse 43. I'm just going to invite you to stand to your feet if you're able to stand. I know some standing is difficult, but if you can just stand briefly. In a moment, I'm going to ask our pianist just to play a hymn of invitation. Dear friend, if God has touched your heart about this matter, I just urge you perhaps... You just want to sit where you are and do business with God. If you want to come and kneel at the front, do business with God. But let me encourage you to do a transaction with God because prayerlessness is a sin. It first needs to be repented of. You need to say, God, I've been wrong. I've gotten distracted. I have not, I've not prayed for things as, as you know. I know you want me to pray. So the first thing is to do is to get right with God. And the second thing is, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? I'm in just a moment ask the piano to play, and you just, whatever God wants you to do, would you respond to him as the piano plays? If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, 
Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.